Good morning. My name's Jeff Dirks. I've attended church here for 22 years, and today's reading is out of Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. And they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. He is risen. He is risen. Hallelujah. He is risen. Our God is not still on the cross. Jesus is raised from the dead. And this morning, we're going to continue what we started last week uh, in, our, in our study. Um, but isn't this a great great painting. It's a, if you look at it, it's from a perspective that God looking down on the sun during the crucifixion. And uh, it reminds you of the, of the agonizing pain and the utter pain that Jesus went through while he was on the cross. And this morning, we're going to be in our text this morning of Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. I'd encourage you to go ahead and put your Bibles there. That's where we're going to spend our time this morning as we get, as we get started. Uh, welcome everybody. Looking forward to this time we have together and that may God encourage us in his word as we get into it this morning. Let's pray. Father God, just uh, come before you this morning, Father, and just ask that you would instruct us, your people. Now, Lord, on this day, this Resurrection Sunday, we would remember of the greatest event that ever took place the death, the burial, and the resurrection of your son, for in it, Father, you gave life. It was a sign, Father, that you demonstrated your love. It was, a, it was a working of your love and your mercy and your grace, and you did not leave us, Father, in darkness. You did not leave us in chaos. You did not leave us in our sins, but that, God, you delivered us once and for all through your son, Jesus Christ, to all those who would believe on him. To them who would believe, he's given the right to become the children of God. And so this morning, Father, as we gather, as we remember the resurrection of your son, as we look at this account, Father, may your spirit move among us. May your spirit speak to us. May our hearts, Father, be soft this morning. May they be humble and contrite. Father, may we have ears that are ready to hear that your spirit would speak into our lives. And that we would grow in Christ as we learn to follow Jesus. And Lord, this week, we would even desire him even more in our lives. 
that we would grow in him. And then, Father, as I always pray, I pray just, Father, go past all of the shortcomings, the iniquities, the inabilities of the servant and speak to us, your people, that your name would be glorified and your name would be lifted up. Last week, we were in the, we were in the garden and we took time there seeing Jesus to go through the agonizing torment that he went through in the garden as he was preparing to be the sin bearer of the world. And we took time out last week. And one of the things we did is we encouraged you to this last week, this passion week, to really focus in on your relationship with God, that you would have a thirst and a desire to grow, to learn to follow Jesus and to grow in him. And some of us in here put little post notes out there without names of just things that we felt like God was leading us to do. And it was a great privilege and it was an honor to be able to pray through those this week. I don't know the names, I don't know the people, but God does. And I pray that this week in the, in the victories as well as the defeats that God brought you closer to himself as we walk after him, as we thirst after him. And a lot has happened in this Passion Week. Last week we were looking at the garden, which was on Thursday night. On Friday, a few hours later, we find that Jesus is on the cross. As we look at that, as we see these ladies coming on that first resurrection morning, as he's been buried, he died, and he was buried, and now he's in the tomb. So when we pick up in Mark chapter 16, in verses 1 and 2, we see that they arrive in mourning, not the time of day, but rather the grief that they were experiencing. If you will, look at verses 1 and 2. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, brought spice, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. First thing I realized is that they were in mourning. I thought about, if you will, I did this last week a little bit. I was trying to imagine, to understand the grief that Christ. This morning, I want us to look at and imagine these women, these devoted women, and what they were going through. I want you just to imagine the emotions of these, of these women on that first Resurrection Sunday. I want you to imagine the closeness that they had in their relationship with Jesus. All of these women are mentioned at least twice within the context here. Um, the Marys are mentioned at least three times uh, within the context. It just points to, out to us the significance and the prominence of these women in the resurrection event, which is such a wonderful picture. I want you to imagine as they were walking with Jesus on Friday before the crucifixion, on Thursday, on Wednesday, think about the faith that, that filled them as they watched the power of Jesus's life. The perfect love they would have witnessed flowing from the heart of Jesus, the life of him. Think of the miracles they would have saw, the life change that they would have witnessed in, in people's lives whom Jesus had touched. Consider the joy, the hope, the love they personally felt as they walked with Jesus for those many weeks and months before this event. It is undoubtable that they ever met anyone like Jesus. 
they'd ever met anyone like him. Some of their most joy-filled and wonderful times of their lives were spent with Jesus. As they thought of these times, it brought hope. It brought joy. Can you just imagine that? Can you imagine the expectation that they expected what Jesus would do, that Jesus now is here on the scene. He's gonna set up his kingdom. He's gonna overcome, overcome Rome, many of them thought. This is time where God's gonna establish his kingdom on earth and the expectations that they had. And then all of a sudden, devastation completely turns everything around. Out of nowhere, the delight of the Passover, the excitement and the joy to celebrate with Jesus, all that he had done, the impact he had been making, and the Passover turns to utter tragedy. Jesus is arrested, falsely accused, whipped and beaten, mocked and tortured. Jesus warned them of all of this, but they didn't understand. So imagine, imagine these ladies, these devoted women. Imagine as they stood there and Jesus is hanging on the cross. And the text tells us they stood from a distance as they observed and saw, as they experienced their own pain, as they watched Jesus in utter pain. Imagine the confusion the sorrow that they felt when they heard the words, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Imagine the bewilderment they would have felt as Jesus said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. The amazement, the, the confusion, when Jesus finally cried out, it is finished. From there, they witnessed a great earthquake. The sky went black. The power of God ran through the temple, ripping the curtain. The rumors, the news would have spread so fast as people heard of the event. And all of a sudden, just like that, it's over. It's done. Jesus' bread breathed his last breath. He's gone. No more words. No more breath. No more comfort. No life. Gone. Feel the sadness they would have felt. Feel the grief that would have consumed their souls as they faced the finality of death. The sting of death, each of us face it. Each of us, yet no one has overcome it. We can go through life, we can make our own course, we can choose our own ways, we can try to dictate our, the way our life is gonna happen. We can, we can accumulate, we can gather, we can do all those things, but one thing we can't overcome is death. It has its grip. It has us. 
And yet Jesus overcame that. These women were beautiful and faithful and devoted and they woke up early that first resurrection Sunday. In fact, sometimes I never thought about it until I was preparing for this. Never thought about Saturday. The crucifixion happened on Friday. On Saturday, it was the Sabbath. They weren't allowed to go to the tomb. They weren't allowed to go put ointments on, on the body. They weren't allowed to touch the dead. And here they were in their inactivity and the sorrow and the grief and unable to do anything. I would imagine that was a really long day. So here comes the resurrection Sunday. Here comes Sunday. They woke up early to head towards the tomb, probably after agonizing through the night. So that, that, that Sunday, as they walked towards the tomb, imagine the sadness as they walked. Imagine the disappointment they felt, the massive sense of loss, of, of feelings of grief, of sudden quiet deep loneliness. I imagine they probably were saying to themselves, you know, did this really happen? I mean, I didn't think it was gonna turn out this way. As they faced the utter finality of death, they could not see ahead. They could not see what God was about to do. They were experiencing the total loss. So they arrived that morning in verses one and two in deep grief and mourning. But look at the second observation in verses three and four that they anticipated a significant obstacle. Verse three says, and they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. I like the way the text just writes that. It was just very large. It was huge. As they approached the, the tomb, they anticipated that huge stone and, and they knew they couldn't roll it back. They knew they didn't have the strength. How were they gonna roll that back? How was it gonna, how was it gonna happen? They were unsure how the stone would be moved. But notice, do not miss it. They showed up. I think many times in life, it's just showing up, isn't it? Some didn't show up. Some didn't go to the tomb. These devoted women went to the tomb. There was obstacles, but they still went and they became the recipients of the announcement of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What a great privilege. Some of you this morning in here are facing great obstacles. And sometimes when we face those great obstacles, it brings about it brings about doubt, it brings about anxiety, it brings about confusion. And sometimes we might say, it's just too hard. We might say, it's just too much. I'm too tired. I, I, I can't go on any longer. I'm frustrated. And we find ourselves looking at the stone and saying, it's too big and I can't move it. And I'm not strong enough and we give up. We just say that stone's too big. But these, these women of devotion, they're going to the tomb. They're walking. And even though they're anticipating a great, great obstacle, they're still showing up. 
Dear people of God, one of the things that I realized is that while they were going, they did not understand it. They did not know. But at the same time, God was gloriously working while they were in the facing of their, while they were facing their uh, obstacle. And it's true in your life too. Many times when you're facing obstacles, God's at work in ways that you don't even realize, you don't even know, and you just gotta keep showing up. You don't, you don't give up, you don't quit, you don't stop. We're all gonna get hurt. We're all gonna find those things in our lives that disrupt us and cause us to doubt and to grow in confusion and begin to be in bewilderment of wondering what's next. But God is still working, he hasn't stopped. We still keep showing up, just as the devoted women. And as they, as they go to the tomb and, and as they're anticipating this obstacle and as they show up, they discover the unexpected, don't they? The stone is rolled back, it's been removed. How, why, they don't know yet. God is still working behind the scenes. So not only did they arrive in mourning and not only did they anticipate the obstacle, but thirdly, <laughs> they were shocked with hope, with hope. Look at verses five through eight. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in, white, in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they had laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, that he is going before you in Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. It's interesting. Can you imagine the scene? I don't, I don't know what my angelology would say in this, but there's part of me where, where I'm looking and here comes in, they go in and there's this young man dressed in a white robe. We know he to be a messenger of God, an angel of God. And can you just imagine his excitement? I mean, think about it. The first one in the, all of history and all of humanity, the first one to say, he is risen, he is not here. How amazing would that be? Can you imagine him getting that assignment that day? I, I, I don't know if angels experience that or not, but I, I, I can't imagine the excitement to be able to share the victory that Jesus had once and for all over death and over sin, to be the one to announce. And these devoted women walk into the, into the tomb and the Bible tells us that they were alarmed, understandably so. They were alarmed. That word is only used by Mark. We saw it last week in the account with Jesus when he was distressed. And here it is again, only used by Mark. It expresses strong fear, terror, astonishment. They were terrified. Now imagine here for a second, the devastation and the pain they experienced on Friday as he was hanging on the cross. The tremendous grief of loss and loneliness on Saturday when they, they weren't allowed to do anything. They couldn't go take care of the body. They had to, they had to stay at home. The anguish and the feeling of loss and confusion early that Sunday morning as they were walking to the tomb. How are we gonna remove this stone? And then the utter terror at this moment on that Sunday morning. Verse eight describes them as seized with trembling and astonishment. 
The, the Gospel of Mark tells us also that they were filled with joy. Now just put yourself in their, in their situation for a moment. Put yourself in that moment. Feel the impact and the emotions. The staggering reversal from Friday to Sunday morning. What was their source of alarm? It was that they were shocked by hope. When the announcement of that angel, when he said he is risen, he has risen and he is not here. I, I imagine that they were, boom, just exploded with hope that Jesus isn't there. He's alive. It's almost like, you know, that angel had like supernatural God, supernatural defibrillator, you know, just pops him one and life came into him. You know, excitement about what was going on that God has risen, that he is not here. And they were shocked with the message of hope they found only in Jesus Christ. They went from grief to hope. They went from sadness to joy, overwhelmed in their emotions. And they understood in the moment the power of the resurrection and the power of the gospel, the life-changing factor that comes through Jesus Christ and him alone. And if you look at verse six, it's, it's such a simple verse, but it's so packed with truth. Look at verse, verse six. It says, it says um, I'm sorry, I just went, got blind there for a second. Uh, let me wipe out my eyes. I get, I get so moved sometimes on these things. It says, and he said to them, do not be alarmed. You see Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. First thing he says to them, you seek Jesus of Nazareth. All true purpose in this life begins with Jesus. Let me say that again. All true purpose in this life begins with Jesus. He is the starting point. If you do not put Jesus at the center, you're not gonna end up in the right spot. I used to have lots of debates with guys that were in philosophy and they'd have all these dear, different philosophical views and I always used to say to them, if you start in the wrong spot, you're never gonna end up in the right spot. It starts with Jesus. To seek Jesus is to seek the one who gives eternal life, the protector of this life. To seek Jesus is to seek the son of God. No one should live this life without asking the question, who is Jesus? No one. There's never been a more influential person in all of history. Why would it not be foolish to go through this life and not ask the question, who is this Jesus? Now, I'm not saying you ask the question, who is this pastor? Or who is this church? Or who are these people? What I'm saying is you ask the question, who is this Jesus? I remember as a young man sharing the gospel with this older gentleman who had been hurt by the church so, so tremendously, so tremendously. In fact, as he shared it, I totally agreed with him. I, yeah, I totally agree with you. But the reality is do not, do not choose to reject Jesus because of them. You, re you reject Jesus because of Jesus. You need to look at him because when you do, you will see Jesus. Who is this Jesus? Who is he? You see, in all of your life and all your goings and everything that you have, who is Jesus? Have you looked into him? 
Not at the church, not at the people, but at who Jesus is. And Jesus made it very clear who he is. In the Gospel of John, there's seven statements where Jesus clearly defines who he is. The first one that he says is, I am the bread of life in John chapter 6, verse 35. In other words, only Jesus satisfies. Only through him will we find satisfaction. The world will not satisfy you, nor can it satisfy you. I'm going to tell you right now, in all of your pursuits of life, whether it's your accomplishments, your gathering of things, whatever it is in your pursuits and your honor and your desires, your, what you want to attain in life, all of those will never satisfy. Only in Jesus will you be satisfied. That is the truth. I'm going to tell you in my life, I know that. I know that. And I don't stand here for any reason other than the reality of what Jesus has done in my life and the satisfaction I have in him. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Only Jesus has the light of life. Only Jesus can shine into the darkness. In Titus, it says the grace of God has appeared to all men bringing salvation. And the picture is is of that appeared is that idea of the sun coming up on the horizon as the rays of the sun begin to stream across darkness and as the sun raises and exposes the landscape around it the same picture that Jesus has appeared he is the light of the world and he's shining in the world he's shining into the darkness and the world is full of darkness full of chaos without hope and the light that you're looking for this morning is only found in Jesus Christ only found in him. Who is this Jesus? Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. Only Jesus can die for us and pay for our sins. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. You go out and you hire someone to guard the sheep. And when the wolf comes and the bear comes or the, or the, the thieves come to steal, the hired man runs. But the good shepherd lays his life down to protect the sheep. And Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. He laid his life down for us that we might have life. There is no life. He only he could do this because he was fully God and fully man. The sacrificial lamb of God. Only he could have done that. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, Yet he shall live. Only Jesus can conquer death. Jesus is the source of life and of resurrection. Only he could beat death. None of you in here can beat death. If you think so, you're delusional. Let's go talk to a doctor. I I, I shouldn't have said that, maybe. The reality is only he beat death. Only he conquered death. He went to the cross And he experienced the judgment of God and he experienced pain and he was buried, but he was raised again. Only Jesus can give life. When he was looking at Martha and he was talking to her about if she believes and she's like, oh yeah, I believe, you know, Lazarus will be come back in the time of the resurrection. And Jesus looks at her and says, no, I am the resurrection and the life. And he looked into the grave and he called Lazarus out that all that they're there would know that he is the resurrection and he is the life. There is no other life. 
outside of Jesus. He is our life. He beat death once and for all, forever. No one else can do that. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Only through Jesus do we have access to the Father. Through his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection does he give life. It was this verse, it was this verse that God used in my life that brought me from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of life, that brought life into my, into my world, that I would understand what life is. Jesus said, I am the way, the life, and the truth. And the reason that's so important to me on truth is that at that time, everybody I knew lied to me. My parents lied, my teachers lied, everybody lied. I wanted to know truth and Jesus spoke truth. You may not like his truth, you may not agree with his truth, you may run from his truth, but it's still truth because Jesus is the truth. And he's the way, there's no other way. There's no other way. I remember getting through college, I was putting in lawn sprinkler systems, it was great. I used my brain all morning, all afternoon, I, I beat on the ground, it, it was really a good combination. I was working with this guy who was a stoic philosopher. And we used to get into all kinds of wonderful conversations about life and truth. And I remember one day after sharing with him many times about Jesus, I remember him saying to me one day, he said, you know what, Greg, won't it be wonderful if when we all get to heaven, we realize there was many ways to God? And I looked at him and I said, if that's true, I won't be there. Because I said, Jesus said, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. There's no other way. He is the life. That's right. I am the true vine, Jesus said. Only Jesus grants eternal vitality. Only Jesus, as we are the branch and he is the supernatural vine, as he is life, and as we're grafted into him, do we find life do we find vitality for life? Do we find eternal life only in him? Jesus said, I am the vine. I am the source of eternal life. I am the source of eternal vitality. There is no other way. I don't care how many retirement plans you have, you put them all together, it's not enough. I don't care how many plans you have, it's not enough. Jesus and Jesus alone gives life. He who is this Jesus, he's the very son of God, our redeemer and our hope to those who believe he takes us from death to life, from darkness to, to light. Takes us out of that kingdom of bondage into the kingdom of life in his dear son. In verse six, he goes on, he says, he says, not only do you seek Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth who was crucified, Jesus suffered a horrible death of crucifixion. John 18, 37, talking to the Pilate, Jesus says, for this very reason, for this I was born into this world. He was crucified. He was born into the world to be the sin bearer, to bear our sins, to take our punishment as the Lamb of God, to end all sacrifices, to pay our ransom that sin and death had over us no longer because he bought us back and he redeemed us to be our substitute, to die in our place. Yes, he was crucified, but look what he says next. He has 
risen. He's no longer there. Right there in the text, read it. He has risen. He is not here. Right there. Do not miss it. Do not read by it just because it's, we do this every year and we think of his resurrection. He is alive. Bam, shocked with hope. These ladies went from fear and sorrow to tremendous hope and a shock of hope. Grief turned to hope. When darkness once ruled, now the light of the world rules. When death had us in, the, in its grip, now the resurrection and the life has set us free. The one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father but by me, has conquered death. Death could not hold him. Satan could not defeat him. He is not here, that angel said that morning. Meaning he is alive. Meaning he defeated death. He did what no one else could do. Meaning he defeated Satan and he now lives in a body that is indestructible, that will never succumb to death. And here's the beauty. Here's the beauty. It's what Jesus is offering to everyone this morning, to all that who would believe, that through, the, through grace, by his grace, through faith, we would receive life. The gift of God, the immeasurable gift of God, it's God's gift to you if you would receive it. He offers it to you. Do you know Jesus? Have you received him into your life? These devoted women were utterly shocked by hope. A hope that defeats death. A hope that is indestructible. A hope that is unfading. A hope that gives us a reason to live. A hope that says you have no fear in death. The gift of God being offered to you today through Jesus Christ. Have you received him into your life? The gift of eternal life that gives a living hope. I love 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Listen to these. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. To an inheritance, listen to this, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Think about that, that God in all of his mercy and his grace and his majesty, he prepared for us through his son, Jesus Christ, a redemption, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, a life that we have in him that is imperishable, imperishable. All of our things we're putting aside and we're accumulating and all, they're gonna perish, but this will not. It's undefiled, it's unfading, it's kept in heaven for you. By what? By the power of God. You are being guarded for that time. That same power that looked at Christ in the grave and rose Christ from the dead and brought him to life and defeated death and defeated sin once and for all. That same power that did that, that same power works in those who believe. Isn't that an amazing picture? 
The magnificent power of God at work in our lives, giving us a living hope that is only found in Jesus. The immeasurable riches of God's glory through the grace of God in his son, Jesus Christ. There is no other hope. There is no other life. There is no other path. He and he alone, Jesus, is being offered to all those who believe. Have you received Christ into your life? That's a question. It's one that everyone should, should face. Maybe you know Christ this morning and, and man, things have just been going difficult. Maybe you found yourself distancing from him. You find yourself pushing him away in your life in little ways. Things happen. Life change happens. Events happen. And you kind of just move away from following him and seeking him. And it's time. It's time to renew. It's time to recommit back to him, to serve him and to seek after him, to continue to learn, to follow after Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning, you've never received Christ. Well, today is the day, man. This Jesus who is the light of the world, this Jesus who is the bread, Jesus who only satisfies, the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh to the Father but by me, to him. To him is the one that we call to, that we pray, that we seek. Let's pray. Father God, <clears throat> Father, I just pray your spirit moves among us, among your people, that Lord, you would instruct us. Father, touch in our lives. Let us, let us not continue in our apathy, Father. Let us be a people that continue to grow in earnest and desire to know Jesus, to follow him, to see his working daily, to understand the strength and the peace that only Jesus can give us. Father, I pray for those that might be here this morning and who've never trusted in Christ, that today would be that day, that they would simply, Father, in faith, believe in your son, to trust in him. And I pray, Father, your spirit would move in them and to show them your, the way, to show them the truth. And that, Father, you would use them. Father, I just pray you move among your people right now in this time, in this place, that you would have your way with us as you see fit. In Jesus' name, amen.